Hi, this is Robert Bergen, and welcome to a special edition of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. Michael Carboni has asked me to come on this week and give you an update about everything to do with Latin American Rugby League. There'll be a bit of breaking news, some current affairs, and a little bit of a history lesson thrown in for sure. Of course, Michael, who usually runs this podcast, is preparing for his sister-in-law's wedding, and he's taking these duties very seriously. Uh, He did say that he's working on his speech, but I believe he spent all of the time in the gym. He's doing upside-down crunches as we speak. He's bicep curling and upright rowing until the sweat drips down his arms. So we'll leave Michael to that, and let's focus on one of the last explored uh, continents of rugby league, in Latin America. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. The most pressing issue, of course, is the upcoming game between Colombia and India on July 14. That'll take place at Scott Park in Holland Park, which is the home of East Juniors in Brisbane City. Now, the Colombian side had some welcome news this week uh, that one of their front rowers and a mainstay of Latin American Rugby League in general, uh, Juan David Espinal, has been cleared to play. He, uh, he's been carrying a, a fairly serious knee injury, but he's actually postponed uh, surgery so that he can take part in this game. So it's welcome news for the Colombians who last up, if you, you're not up on your uh, Latin American fixtures, they last up had a, a fairly heavy loss to El Salvador, um, which I guess when you look at the comparative size of the countries, uh, could be a bit of a blow to the Colombians. But don't be fooled, El Salvador Rugby League uh, is a lot stronger than people would anticipate. Now, also happening with in regards to Colombia, a uh, big boost for them in front rower Andrew Zuluaga, who is with the Tampa, uh, who was with Tampa Bay in the USA Rugby League. His father is Colombian, um, and he'll be participating. This is the first time he's represented Colombia. He did, of course, play for Latin Heat, the Latin American representative team, uh, in last year's Emerging Nations World Cup, but he's never actually pulled on the jersey of Colombia. So this will be a first for him. I know he's excited. He's currently playing up with the Charters Towers Miners in uh, the North Queensland competition, the Townsville and Districts Rugby League. So uh, he's he's actually going to play a club game the day before and then fly down because of uh, the terms of his contract with the Miners. Uh, yeah, he's he's a very uh, dangerous, multi-skilled player who'll bring something else uh, and he'll help offset, offset what is expected to be a, quite a large Indian team. So India is drawing their side mainly from the ethnic rugby league of Auckland which has quite a large Asian population within it. Um, the Ethnic Rugby League was, was set up specifically uh, to help some of the, the smaller ethnicities, such as uh, the Indians and Pakistanis, compete against the likes of the Chinese and Vietnamese, etc. So, of course, um, very large disparity in, in body sizes throughout New Zealand, and uh, this has been a way for them to uh, 
get a get a feel for the game and, and I guess not be intimidated straight up. But from all accounts, some rather large Indians that participate in that competition. And of course, you have those really colourful ethnic mixes between, uh, you know, Indian Fijians, and then mixing in with the the Samoans and and the Tongans, and also the Maori. Um, and they'll be bringing a, a quite a strong squad along with uh, Shania Chowdhury, who plays in the USA Rugby League as well, and Nick Samra, who is locally based in Queensland, um, and he's with, in Bundaberg with Across the Waves which um, for those of you who are up on your local district rugby league, Across the Waves is a club of Antonio Cafusi these days, um, and he's the, the former Queensland State of Origin player. Uh, interesting facet to the match between Colombia and India will be that uh, childhood friends, uh, Nick Samra that I just mentioned, and Seb Martinez will be going head-to-head. They've had a lot to do with organising this clash um, between the respective nations, and uh, they'll be going at it uh, hammer and tongs, no doubt. There's been a bit of banter thrown around, um, but again, truly magnificent to see two uh, countries emerging um, from out of you know basically nowhere in the the last five or six years to being on this stage where where they can um, hold full seventeen aside games against each other. Um, Further on that, the coach for Colombia is Peter Fitzgerald, former NRL, former Super League player, um, and he's been taking them for just over six months now. And a, a good thing that he's done is is been able to get most of the Colombians living in Australia to play with the same local club this year, uh, and that means that they're training and and working on team patterns side by side, um, week by week, which is really a boost compared to past years where you know we've kind of brought Latin American players together from all over the place. Um, Colombia, as I mentioned, heavy defeat to El Salvador and in the Latin American domestic championships uh, in Sao Paulo last year, they also had heavy defeats to Brazil and Argentina. So they'll be looking to bounce back. Uh, one of the interesting, uh, another interesting aspect about Colombia in general is that uh, all of their players to date have been Colombian born and bred. So even though there's some now living in Australia on visas, they're all actually born in Colombia, which for any emerging nation is uh, you know, quite a feather in the cap. There's no one there on grandfather or, or parent rule uh, until Andrew Zuluaga makes his debut this weekend. So they've, they've done it the tough way, um, but they've done it with the greatest of national pride. And I, I know they're very... Uh, very proud of that fact that they've been able to uh, to field a team that is largely or completely at times Colombian-born. If we uh, continue with Colombia, what's happening domestically is they'll also host the 2019 uh, Latin American Championships, which uh, is predominantly by players based in the domestic leagues. Over there, you'll occasionally get three or four players from uh, Australia or from England or America travel to participate, but 90, 95 or so percent of players are actually uh, residing in Latin America. So it's a great competition. They'll be holding it this year in Jericho, which is a town near Medellin, uh, one of the largest cities in Colombia. At this stage, um, there is Colombia participating, of course, Mexico very keen, Um I've heard that Chile is going 
and Ecuador is kind of a 50-50. There was some uh, bad news about a week and a half ago. Argentina and uh, Brazil confirmed because of travel costs, they wouldn't be able to participate. Um, I think there's a few things happening on the horizons for those those countries, um, and they've got to weigh up what they can do uh, within the next calendar year. Although I'm hearing fresh from about an hour ago that Argentina is rethinking that. They may make the travel. I believe Brazil is looking at financial ways to, to make their way across. So uh, fingers crossed, he's hoping that all of those countries c- can participate and it'll be a, uh, a fully-fledged and, and one of the best uh, domestic tournaments we've seen in Latin America. If we move around a little, so I've, I've just mentioned Ecuador neighbours to Colombia. Uh, Ecuador is a possible participant at this year's Latino Nines, which, uh, as opposed to the full 17-a-side, 13-a-side uh, domestic tournament that happens in Latin America, the Latino Nines is a nine-a-side that happens for the Australian-based Latinos. Uh, and Ecuador has been a participant twice before in that. They might be a bit thin for numbers this year, so they're, they're looking around. If you are someone of Ecuadorian heritage, make sure you do uh, get in touch you can send me a message on the page Judgmental Ginger or send it to Latin American Rugby League, which is Latin Heat Rugby League on Facebook, and uh, we'll tee you up with the uh, correct personnel. Uh, any of those countries, actually, so if, if you have heritage across the board in Latin America, feel free to get in touch, um, whether you want to be a player, whether you want to be a coach, uh, when you, whether you want to be a touch judge, or perhaps you've got a business and you'd like to sponsor and make things happen across Latin American Rugby League, you can be sure that uh, it is possible to make a difference at this grassroots level. Um, You'll be surprised how far money goes in the Latin American community. And and at this stage, while everyone's still developing, uh, every bit counts quite, quite a fair bit. If we move down from Ecuador to Peru, you may have heard Peru have got just a host of things happening at the moment. They, uh, they've been finalists in the last two Latino Nines competitions. And sorry, I should have said before, Latino Nines is expected to happen at this stage on September 7 in Moorbank in Western Sydney. Uh, and so, yeah, Peru, they've actually been finalists in the last two Latino Nines, uh, which is good for them because they don't have a hell of a lot of players to, to choose from. But they've pushed Chile in the final of both the uh, the previous tournaments, Chile winning both, and uh, that nation of, of, of Chile still undefeated in nine-a-side rugby league uh, based in Australia anyhow. Uh, so Peru since then have been a little bit quiet. They've almost got a 17-a-side team uh, a few times, but they've fallen just short. They took on Africa United uh, in one exhibition game and had to pull in a few players that weren't Peruvian, so they didn't count that as a full international match. Um, But now they're telling me they've got more than, say, 30 or so source players who are interested, and uh, that's just in Australia. They're set up with uh, Wanko Abanda in in Peru itself, in Lima, in the university system, and he's helping spread the word. But the man making it all happen is Jamie Perez. He's come in with a real shot of vigor. Uh, He's Peruvian-born, 
spent a lot of his time in Australia growing up in the uh, the IT sector. He's a lot of experience in coaching in the in the Campbelltown district, uh, southwest of Sydney. And uh, he's he's come back from a trip home last year to Peru where he really rediscovered his roots and got a feel for what it was to to be a Peruvian again. And uh, yeah, he's uh, brought a, a wave of enthusiasm, which you know also players such as Sean Day and and Luis uh, Guillermo Fon have followed, and they're building a lot of momentum right now. You've probably seen them quite active on social media. They've been on this podcast before. They've been on a number of different uh, media channels, and uh, they're not only profiting, uh, profiteering their uh, their participation in the Latino Nines, but they've also got a match set up against uh, Uruguay. That'll happen at Campbelltown in September as well. I believe September 16 off the top of my mind. And that's a, a little bit of a grudge match, you'd say, They've had two fiery encounters in the past between themselves, but more than anything, it's about two nations who are trying to re refine their feet and get a bit of spark back. Uh, Uruguay's, I guess, tangent um, has followed similar lines to Peru. They were very strong early in the Latin American movement. They've lost a little bit of momentum because they've haven't quite been able to fill that gap between nine aside rugby league and 17 aside, but now uh, they've got a new leadership group headed up by Adam Kungal, who is uh, is very studious and very good at getting all his uh, documents done and, and um, being a diplomat about things and working alongside him as a, a committee with some mainstays of Uruguay rugby league like Claudia Papa, uh, Nico Karma and Angel Morrison. So they're taking... Uruguay Rugby League in a, a bit of a new direction. Um, so all of those those past little uh, fiery matches against Peru, you know, that might not eventuate to anything in this particular match, but it's it's always nice to mention these things for a little bit of a history lesson. If we move further down to Chile, um, Chile, of course, they've been very much the front runner in Latin American rugby league, first Latin American nation to participate in a World Cup qualifier last year when they played the USA. Uh, they were handsomely beaten, but for those of you who watched that game, I can definitely say that's not uh, an absolute reflection of where Chile's at. Uh, they were down on troops for that uh, tournament. Quite a few of them not able to make it because uh, they, they were only admitted late into that qualifying match. And some people had already organized trips away and um, had decided they were going to retire at the end of the season, etc. Um, there was also, you know, the financial implications of, of getting everyone there from Chile and uh, those from Australia all the way to America, whereas, you know, America had the home ground advantage, but that's not taking anything away. I don't think anybody's fooling themselves that um, that Chile would have beaten uh, USA, but I I don't think it would have been an 80-point ball game if um, we'd seen the best players out there. And I know from from talking to the USA players, they said they, they actually ended that game quite sore and, um, you know, the, the ferocity and the attitude was there. It was more those uh, technical misgivings and dis- defensive lapses that you see in developing nations that really made it that blowout score. So that's for you, those of you who've followed Chile in the past, but looking to the future, uh, you know they definitely want to keep a spot in that America's Cup quartet uh, with USA, Canada, and Jamaica. 
Um, but they're going to be made to work for it. So I think that's a real positive. You know, there's countries like Brazil, which will become a full affiliate. Uh, Argentina won't be too far away. I imagine in the next year, Colombia will become a full affiliate. There's scope for El Salvador to join in there. Uh, so it's not going to be an easy path for Chile. And uh, in, in many ways, that's going to be a great thing because they're going to be pushed uh, every step and they're going to have to pay, you know, more attention to their their preparation, things like their fitness, etc. That'll take them that next step. But at the moment, the quality they have um, through Australian domestic competitions is uh, really strong, and they've been working on their domestic league to the point where you know I think there's have to be close to to twenty teams over there now, uh, spread between Antofagasta in the north and Los Angeles mainly in the south, although. It's in about seven different cities in the south now, and I know they're always looking to make inroads in the capital of Santiago. Um, the Chileans are headed up sort of in a, in a three-pronged manner by Rodrigo Miller, who is also the president of Latin American Rugby League. Uh, Guillermo Arteaga, who tends to handle a lot of things in the north of the country, and then uh, Ronald Sotobadilla, who handles things in the southern parts of Chile. And, uh, yeah, between them all, they've done a wonderful job of, of getting Chile to the forefront of rugby league. So uh, they, they're planning to make their way up to Colombia um, to see how things are going up there. I think they've got a bit of a tour happening with some Australian players going over to uh, Chile at the end of the year as well. Uh, so that's going to only further put them uh, ahead. I mentioned that countries like Brazil and Argentina are going to be ch- uh challenging them soon and uh i was speaking with hugo froze from uh from brazil and he said oh i think we've got more players than chile now so i'm gonna put that out there as a bit of a challenge let's see who by the end of of 2019 has more registered rugby league players between chile and brazil it's going to be a tight one because although chile has a historical advantage uh brazil's got a fair bit of momentum with them at the moment and of course looking at the fact that the population of Brazil is something like 220 million, and I believe Chile is around 40 million. So uh, if the Brazilians can make a good fist of it, and I know they've already made inroads in, in the big cities like Rio de Janeiro um, and Sao Paulo, so, uh, and with Belo Horizonte as well. Uh, so, of course, it's all before them. We go further south um, from Brazil for a moment down to Argentina, uh, and Argentina's at a really interesting stage. I mean, when I first began with Latin Heat and with the concept in around 2013, we really thought Argentina was going to run ahead of everyone because they have been so good in rugby union. And, you know, I think top four participant, the last World Cup, they've been finalists in quite a few, you know, under 20s sort of age groups uh, in, in the World Cup scene. So expecting a real wave of, of strong Argentinians to come through with a, with a rugby background. They have more than 120,000, I think, participants in rugby union across Argentina. So that's a, that's a solid base to work from when, when you consider that some of the rugby league playing nations would, I dare say, go, you know, go close to only having 500 or so, uh, rugby league players. So when you think of 120,000 union players, that gives you a fair amount of people to work with. Now, Argentina's had an interesting history in the fact that 
2004, there was a gentleman in the southern part of the country, Ricardo Acuna, who um, he put together rugby league and got it going. And he actually organized with Taz Batiri from the NRL International Development uh, Program to tour with the Australian police team. And they played two games against each other over there. But then it kind of all fell by the wayside. And uh, Ricardo Acuna, he's also was in charge and involved with a group called Coda Sports, which organizes what you'd term alternative sports. Um, and and they're ones that don't fall into the mainstream curri- curriculum that's taught around Argentina. So Ricardo wasn't only looking after rugby league. He was looking after things like um, hopscotch or kabaddi or, um, you know, tiddlywinks, these kind of games that people played for a little bit of fun but weren't always serious about. So, you know, Ricardo had the best interest of the game at heart, but he was spreading his love over a lot of different sports and uh, rugby league fell by the wayside until around 2013 when Carlos Ferreira put up his hand and said, oh, look, I'm interested in in doing something with this sport. And he he kind of joined forces with uh, Latin Heat Rugby League. And uh, it's gone from there. They hosted the first Latin American championships, although that was only a niner side. Um, and that was in 2016. And, of, of course, the Argentinian side won that. That was the first time Chile was ever beaten um, by a Latin American team in any form of rugby league. So that was the final of the 2016 Latin American nine-a-side championship. And, uh, yeah, Carlos has taken it forward leaps and bounds in the years since, but he's also living in a little bit of an isolated part of Argentina, about four hours south of the capital of Buenos Aires. Uh, he lives in, near Mar del Plata, which is kind of like the Gold Coast of of Argentina. It's a, a real popular spot in summertime. People head down there, really, um, you know, popular with European travelers, and uh, they've got some really good things going on there in summer. But when it gets into winter, it's a little bit cold and difficult to get people together. Uh, so Carlos has struggled a little bit with that, and he's but he's also traveled around extensively to the provinces and tried to get rugby league going there and and he's had mixed success you know some places he's gone and they've really loved the sport but because of the distances involved or um, because it's not part of the school curriculum or people's knowledge base it doesn't get practiced all that much so he's really only had a limited uh, number of players but then uh, what's happened in the last few years is uh, Pablo Aguilera and a group of players um, from the Camineros club in Buenos Aires have um, step forward with a really strong group of players um, and they've got some outstanding skills. Um, you know, they would be pushing a lot of Australian-based players if they just had that rugby league background. They, they're very much from a rugby union um, background themselves and uh, sometimes struggle with the finer points, but their skill base is actually quite strong, very physical, um, very good with the passing. Their set moves are, are strong. They just need that little bit of um, knowledge to tip them over the edge. And so Pablo Aguilera has been working with this group and and, uh, some other people like Emilio uh, Rodriguez in Buenos Aires to take them forward. At the same time in the north, on the border with Uruguay, uh, a player called Sebastian Alonso has been working with a group of people up in that area, and that's called Entre Rios, that area. So Entre Rios with the border with Uruguay brings in a whole other factor to play here because you're not only talking about a domestic league between clubs in Ontario's, but but having that 
cross-border rivalry with the Melitas Club in Uruguay means that you're getting some regular competition there. Now, if you look at a map and if you've ever traveled over to Latin America, you'll understand between Buenos Aires, the capital of uh, Argentina, and the capital of Uruguay in Montevideo, there's only two hours or so by ferry. It's a very reasonable trip to make, both in terms of, of time uh, and, and money. You could take a team back and forwards in the, the course of a day, play a game, um, and really you've got a base there in the two capitals if you do that. So with that little bit of building on the, the western side of Uruguay, hopefully we can see that transfer through to the, the capital soon. And of course, as I mentioned, that that Uruguayan committee that's working hard in Australia to get things happening with the Uruguayan players, I know some of them have got contacts back home and they're, they're seeing how much they can, can sort of whip around and, and how much interest they can generate. Hey guys, Michael Carboni, just taking a break from my upside down crunches and bicep curls to let you know that episode 30 of Chasing Kangaroos is brought to you by Matt Haynes Sport. Now last week I told you all about his Atelier Club uh, logos and jerseys, they look fantastic. Well this week I've had a chance to a sneak peek look at the USA Hawks women's jerseys that Matt has designed and they're fantastic, can't wait for those to be released. I know Nate Gladden, very happy and very proud uh, of these ones and he can't wait to get them out to you. Guys, check him out, matthainsports.com and check him out on Instagram as well, Matt, at Matt Haynes. Um, excellent work. Uh, he specializes in logo and jersey design for local clubs and developing nations at affordable prices. So get in there and uh, Matt Haynes Sport very quickly becoming the official graphic designer of International Rugby League, so check him out as soon as you can. Guys, I will mention as well, earlier in this episode, Rob mentioned that the Latino Nines would be held uh, at Ball Bank in Sydney later this year. That's actually changed since Rob has recorded this episode. It's actually going to be played at All Saints in Liverpool um, on September 7, which is a Saturday, so check that out if you have a chance. It's going to be plenty of Australian heritage and, and Latino talent uh, there on the day. It should be a lot of fun. And I will mention, of course, our friends at Mascot Brown. So Mascot Mascotbrowns.com and mascotbrowns.com.au. Check them out for all your International Rugby League merchandise and use the discount code Kangaroo Court. That's Kangaroo C A U G H T uh, for 10% off at checkout. So so get get all over it. Mascotbrowns.com and mascotbrowns.com.au. Back to you, Rob. Uh, really enjoying the show so far, mate. Now. Of course, at the moment, with the countries splattered the way or spattered all over Latin America, a big difficulty they face is in the in the travel department. But if you had Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina playing a lot, you know they border with each other on on three extremely close frontiers. Uh, and then you know to bring another factor in, if you could find a Paraguayan team, of course, Brazil and Argentina border with Paraguay as well. Um, we do have one player who's represented Argentina in the past, who's Paraguayan raised, but he qualifies for Argentina uh, through his residency. He's lived there for, I think, almost 10 years or so. So um, there perhaps could be an a- appetite there in Paraguay that needs to be explored further. So that's mainly around the southern area of Latin America. But let's venture a little bit further north. Actually, we'll go right to the north of Latin America, And we'll talk about Mexico Rugby League. So Mexico Rugby League, really, if you discount that 2004 tour by Australian police to to, uh, Argentina, 
Mexico Rugby League is, has really been the longest developed um, domestic competition. And there's actually reports going back to the 1960s of people saying that, you know, oil workers from English companies were playing rugby league uh, in Mexico and uh, with various companies throughout um, the Mexican region. Uh, and just before Latin Heat was set up in 2013, they already had their own domestic competition. This was started by two brothers, Ruben Monguia and Carlos Monguia. And Carlos Monguia's a Mad Rabbitohs fan. Ruben Monguia became a Mad Bulldogs fan. And I believe this all just happened through watching it on the internet. And that little brotherly rivalry between the two clubs then became a running joke and then spawned interest from other players uh, around Mexico. One of those players who has caught on in recent years is a, a player called Ivan Hernandez. Now, Ivan looks like he's taking Mexico Rugby League through to the next uh, to the next chapter. The Munguia brothers laid the foundation. Now, Ivan came over here last year to Australia for the Emerging Nations World Championship. Um, he arrived. He didn't look like the biggest player, didn't look like the fittest player, but he had a red-hot go, um, and he was in, involved in some really quite physical battles in the games that he played in. But more than that, we knew that he was someone who's very eager to learn about the game uh, and to go back home and to spread the word. And that's exactly what he's done. And if you hop onto Mexico Rugby League Facebook page, you can see the mountain of work he's uh, he's been doing, including their new jersey, which is absolutely fantastic. I almost put my hand up to say it's the best rugby league jersey I've seen on the international scene, although those who are involved with Peru Rugby League are going to disagree because they've had a real real crack with theirs. And um, I'm sure I'm insulting someone by saying this, but when you see those two designs, they really stand out. I'm sure the other countries are going to match them bit by bit, though, and uh, it's going to be something that they're all quite proud of. But yeah, Mexico Rugby League have, have been starved of opposition in a way because they're so far uh, from the rest of Latin America. And also because they border with the USA, which doesn't always have the most agreeable um, visa terms for Mexicans wanting to come into the country. Um, and also there's a fair degree of trepidation from USA rugby league players about traveling to Mexico to play. So for whatever reason, that's never happened. There's never been a USA team uh, that's gone down and played in Mexico, even though I think we'd love to see it happen. What's happened instead is there's around four clubs or so in the Mexico City region. They play a little bit of a nines round robin. Every so often they get to players, uh, get together with players from Jalisco, which is around the Guadalajara area. Uh, and I believe there's three teams there. And they were started by this really interesting university lecturer, um, Guillermo um, Bueno Rostro, I believe is how you say it. Anyway, Guillermo's a bit of a, like a sci-fi geek. He's got this big long beard and he loves reading about um, and watching Star Wars and and uh, all these intergalactic sort of fantasies. But his other passion is rugby league, and, and he spread the word on rugby league throughout um, the Guadalajara area. Uh, and every so often they play this little Mexican state of origin uh, between Mexico City and, and the uh, provinces, and that's gone back and forwards with some really wildly fluctuating scorelines. So I think that fact that the uh, the two areas have had a bit of success each is good for the long term. And now someone like Ivan, who's been to Australia, who's seen exactly what can become of it 
um, if if they push and they play more internationals. There's there's some positives that are going to come of this, and and one of them, as I mentioned, is them being really forthright about their intention to participate in the Latin American Championships in Colombia this year. So they're scouting around for as many Mexican players as they can find within their competition, and obviously looking to some strong players from uh, the USA Rugby League who have Mexican heritage and might be able to participate on their behalf. I also believe uh, there is a player. Tom Vesey, who used to play in the Brisbane Rugby League competition, he's close to qualifying by residency rules. His his partner is uh, is Mexican, and he's lived over there on the verge of five years. So he's going to put his hand up to uh, to help take them forward, which will make it interesting. Uh, if you go down below Mexico, the other big developed country is El Salvador Rugby League. So El Salvador in many ways have been the second strongest uh, Australian-based players uh, to Chile. Although Peru have beaten them in the last couple of nines tournaments, on 13 and 17 aside, uh, El Salvador tends to have a bit of stronger quality across the board. They've got a lot of players playing regularly. And and part of this all comes down to history and in the fact that during the 1980s, you had a 13-year civil war happening in El Salvador, and a lot of these players' families were granted refugee status in Australia when that was happening. Um, and so it's quite a positive refugee story in the fact that that all these guys have come into Australian culture, they've learned about the sport, they love it. Most of them play both soccer and rugby league and balance the two quite well. It's similar, of, of course, with the uh, the Chileans, Chileans, a lot of them came from refugee backgrounds during the uh, the Pinochet regime. So, uh, you know, they might help persuade people's views on on migration, the fact that um, all these wonderful multicultural groups um, that are, are now participating in rugby league once had to find a new home for themselves. And because we welcome them with open arms, they've accepted part of our culture as well and are now helping to take that to a world stage. So El Salvador Rugby League, they've done really well in Australia, but have had difficulty translating that back home. And there's a few factors behind that. You, there's quite a lot of law and order difficulties in El Salvador. Sometimes it's it's not quite easy to do things um, by um, the diplomatic way. In terms of getting the sport registered, you know, there's a lot of fees and a lot of uh, red tape that's uh, that's holding them back that you don't get in other countries as well. You'd be surprised at the amount of expense that's you know involved in engaging a lawyer, and then there's finding you know local people that can set up the sport and and uh, run your you know run your development clinics, run your coaching days when money is quite tight. You know these people can't give up their time um, and their their health and and put it in jeopardy to play rugby league. Uh, without some sort of fee. So the guys who run El Salvador Rugby League have had to plump up a little bit of money to to make things happen over there. And then, you know, as you have staff turnover, you lose that investment. So um, that's what's happened in the past. But at the moment, they've got a new development officer there and he seems to be doing some reasonable things and taking the sport forward, at not at a, a hectic pace, but at a, a quite a steady pace that augurs well for the development of the sport um, throughout El Salvador. Now, one of the things that El Salvador has done, um, which is is quite benevolent of them, is they have played quite an active part in encouraging the neighbouring countries around them. So, when 
you know, when the powers that be of rugby league look at the bigger picture, we're all thinking about those powerhouses, the G20 nations like your, you know, Argentina, your um, your Chile, Brazil, Mexico. But El Salvador has taken an interest in all the smaller countries like Costa Rica, like Nicaragua, like Guatemala, Honduras, Haiti, um, into Puerto Rico, into the, the Caribbean as well. And, um, you know, they're looking at, at these places and saying, what can we make happen there? And they're actually sharing their knowledge base and, and all the documents they've got together, the rules and regulations, et cetera, with these smaller countries with the hope that maybe there can become a Central American Rugby League that sort of s- splits away from of Latin American Rugby League in general or, or just makes it easier for them to have regular competition in that, that region. Now, when I say splits away, that that brings up another um, another factor that people are going to be interested as this game develops within Latin America is what becomes of the different federations. At the moment, most of the teams in Latin America fall technically within the Asia-Pacific Rugby League, and this is for a number of reasons, um, being that they share the same summer, similar holidays, um, that it's it's quite easy to fly direct from Australia to places like Chile. Um, but then there's also benefits and things they get from the European Federation, like European Federation has helped them a lot with making sure they meet all the criteria um, f- to become affiliate members. They've um, been able to help send over development offices. Some of the countries like Brazil are a direct flight away from, you know, say Portugal or, or Italy. Uh, so you can see that there's kind of a bit of a push and pull for for which side they um, they invest themselves with. And, and the strange thing last year, I guess, with Chile being in the America's Cup was they're an Asia-Pacific Rugby League-aligned nation, but they were participating for a pathway to the World Cup through the Americas, which is, is full of USA, Canada, Jamaica, who all technically belong to the European Federation. So... It's um I guess it's a bit of a technicality. It doesn't really matter in the long run, but you can see over time as these countries develop, they're gonna want a bit more of a say of what happens in the region. Of course, all those countries in, in North American rugby league at the moment, they speak English. So a lot of the a lot of the documents, a lot of the resources they have are not useful in South America. And the and the same thing for coaches, the same thing for administration. You're going to need um, a, he- a heavy degree of people who can speak Spanish and Portuguese, and and there's actually quite a lot of French that happens uh, in these countries as well. So uh, that's going to call for you know multilinguistic administrators. It's going to call for people with different skill bases, and I would say one day the Americas as a whole will have to join together and form its own federation. And perhaps at that stage you might have you know an Americas federation. European Federation, African Federation or African Middle East Federation, and Asian Federation, and uh, we'll see that power base begin to diversify. We're not saying that um, you know things are going to be taken away from the Great Britain and from Australia and New Zealand who traditionally hold the power. Of course, they're always going to have a fair bit of sway with with the amount of um, amount of finances that are available to them and also their their knowledge. You've got to respect what they've built up over the years and their experiences. But we will see uh, a changing landscape for rugby league. Now, the fantastic thing about all these countries uh, participating is, of course, we're, 
we're edging closer and closer to uh, that mark where rugby league can be considered a global sport uh, and, and reach the threshold of countries to start thinking you know, realistically about membership of, of global sporting bodies. The GAISF is the one that administers it now, formerly known as Sport Accord. And we've seen rugby league passed over many times uh, in regard to acceptance into the GAISF. Um, but uh, now with all these countries coming on board and them making sure they've got all their procedures and, and foundations right and everything is registered and regulated, we uh, hopefully we're going to enter a new phase of, of uh, rugby league. So that's a little bit about what's happening around the traps, a little bit of history about uh, how, how it's all developed. Um, off the top of my head, some more things that you might be interested in is Guiana Rugby League. So Guiana Guiana's actually a Caribbean nation and they were um, they belong to the Commonwealth. So they could uh, potentially participate in the Commonwealth Games. But let's look at it geographically. Um, realistically, Guiana's best chance of playing rugby league is against somewhere like Brazil that they, they neighbor with. And Guiana's been really strong in International Sevens Rugby Union. They've been Caribbean champions uh, a number of times in that code. Um, and when you see the athletes that come from there, of course, Kevin McKenzie, who used to play with the Sunshine Coast in the Intrust Super Cup, he's from there. Um, you see players like Dom Lespierre, who's played with clubs throughout um, Leeds and I believe throughout all of Yorkshire. Um, he's got Guyana heritage. Um, there was another player used to play with the um, with the Gold Coast Titans in their under twenties. He has Guyana heritage. Um, there's uh, Claude Jackson who played. Um, in Northern New South Wales Rugby League. Anyhow, you, you're looking at basically West Indian cricketers turned into rugby league players, and some of them are quite you know, physically intimidating. So um, trying to make things happen in Guyana, but there's a little bit of a disconnect there in, in the fact that there's some previous administrators who, who've said that they're developing Guyana Rugby League, but no one's heard from them for years. But their names are still registered as the uh, as the developers of the sport. So hopefully we see with um, with Brazil, Argentina, um, Colombia, Chile taking off that Guiana comes on board. They see the potential there. I I would dead set say that you could have someone from Guiana in the NRL within twenty years. Um, the the physique is not too um, dissimilar to some of the African players that. Are coming through the the Jade Nukumbors, even probably a little bit more stocky and powerful um, than than the likes of Jaden and, and Jamal Idris. So who knows? Things could happen with Guiana Rugby League, but it takes the right people paying attention uh, for that to happen. So yeah, massive potential. If you're listening into this podcast on Michael Carboni's uh, Chasing Kangaroos. I am Rob Bergen. Uh, I've got my own little podcast on the side called The Judgmental Ginger that you only find on Facebook. Um, but if you want to chase me up there to find out more about Latin American Rugby League, about how you can actively participate as a player, how you can be a supporter, how you can be a coach, how you can just learn more about it, then head over to The Judgmental Ginger page on Facebook and uh, shoot me a message and I'll get in touch. Anyway, it's been a pleasure being able to uh, sit with you today and have a little bit of a chat about Latin American Rugby League. I'm sure I've missed something, but Michael can ring me up and we'll have a chat another time. Thanks for everything and uh, Viva Latino.